morning. We sang, uh, Oh, How He Loves Us, and that could really be another title to this message, as I hope you'll see, uh, Living Based on How Christ Loves Us. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 7. We'll be in verses 1 through 6 this morning. This past week, uh, many were sorrowful yet rejoicing in the death of one who's been called uh, America's pastor, the, the Reverend Billy Graham. A man whose name is, is practically synonymous with preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And since his death, I've heard uh, both Christian and non-Christian alike speak and write of the impact of Reverend Graham's preaching in our world. For me, that impact was very personal. I... Uh, I told my wife I was going to share this little story, and she said, you've shared that a million times before. And I said, and your point is? No. But I think, I think it's important. It'll be important as, as we go forward. 33 years ago, I had the privilege of hearing Reverend Graham speak at a campus crusade conference in Kansas City, Kansas. I was a 20-year-old college student who'd been a Christian and gone to church for uh, seven years. But while listening to Reverend Graham, I I began to understand the depths of what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He spoke of trusting in Christ for your salvation. That's how he began, and I thought, amen. Preach it, brother. I've heard this sermon before. I was attending the conference with a group of students from RCC, and I remember praying for one of the guys who'd come with us. I didn't think he was a Christian. I wanted him to respond to the message of salvation and to trust in Jesus Christ. But Reverend Graham didn't finish his message with uh, a salvation altar call, which is so common to what we see. Uh, He didn't finish the message with that this time. He went on to make it clear that believing in Jesus as your Savior includes giving your life to Christ as your Lord. And it was at this point in the message that I began to feel a bit uncomfortable. As he spoke from the Word of God, my heart was convicted. He said that being a Christian means more than being saved from your sin. It means living for Christ. That the Bible says, that's the Bible, I can't do Billy Graham, but I wish I could. The Bible says, being a Christian means you are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And so at the end of this message, when he, when he called us to stand if we were willing to live for the glory of God, if we were willing to go wherever God wanted us to go, if we were willing to do whatever God wanted us to do, I stood. And from that moment on, my life took an entirely different, different path than I had planned. A path that's led me to this place uh, today where I have the great privilege, Sunday after Sunday, to, to preach the same gospel that I heard Reverend Graham preach 33 years ago. This is the gospel that Paul preached. This is the gospel that Jesus preached. This is the gospel that Paul recorded with intricate detail in this book of Romans that we're going through. And it's my prayer that as we continue to walk through this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ, that God will speak to to hearts, to to continue to speak to my heart, continue to speak to your heart, that, that we'll be convinced... That being a Christian is more than being saved from our sin. Yes, praise the Lord 
It is true that in Christ, through trusting in the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross, we were declared righteous before God and were saved from our sins. Hallelujah. But we were also we are also saved to a new life in Christ. and A life of a commitment to Christ. A life of joy in Christ. An abundant life in Christ. A life of satisfaction in Christ. A life that is not your own. It's not what we would have planned for ourselves. But a life given over to obedient service to the Lord Jesus Christ. And today we're going to see from where our obedient service flows where it should flow. We're going to see that our service to Christ doesn't come from fear of rejection or desire to earn salvation, but instead it comes from a relationship of love. A relationship of love and commitment. A relationship that Paul will compare to the most intimate human relationship that we have. The relationship of marriage. And to understand this comparison to marriage, to understand what Paul's saying, in Romans 7, 1-6, we need to back up to Romans 6.14 and, and get the context. Paul's writing to Christians in Rome, to those who are, as we've seen in five and, and through, who are united with Christ, who are in Christ. What happens to Christ happens to them. What's true about Christ is true about them. Those who are saved by grace through faith. And he says in verse 14 of chapter 6, Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Sin has no dominion, no control, no authority over those who are no longer under the law but under grace. And if you remember when we talked about this a number of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that being under the law meant, uh, meant more than just seeking to obey the law seeking to, uh, in love for God, obey the law. That being under the law meant a belief that you earned your righteousness through keeping the law. A belief that righteousness and salvation can be earned by those who live in obedience to the law. So being under the law means you are under a works-based system of righteousness. A works-based system of salvation. But being under grace means that you do not and cannot earn your own righteousness. That you are saved by the grace of God. By God's unmerited, unearned favor, you receive a, the gift, the free gift of salvation. That your good works or trying to keep the law has nothing to do with your salvation. But that brings up a question. And so immediately after verse 14 comes verse... Man, you guys are just making sure you're there. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Does the fact that we are under grace, saved by grace, and not under the law, a system of works-based righteousness, mean that we are to continue in our sin? Since our own efforts to obey the law, to do good works, has nothing to do with our salvation, does that mean we have no responsibility to obey the law of God? That we, that, that we do not need to give our lives in obedient service to Jesus Christ? That we're free to live in sin? And Paul's answer is a clear no, by no means. And then in chapter 6, verses 16-23, to 23, we've already seen this, he goes on to use this illustration of slavery to explain his answer. Let me summarize these verses. Why can't we who are saved by grace, 
whose sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven, why can't we just continue in sin? Why bother with obedience and service? Paul says, because we are no longer slaves to sin. The reality of who you are has changed. Before, before coming to Christ, we were under the authority and the power of sin. Sin was our master, but when we, by God's grace, put our faith in Jesus Christ, God removes us from the, under the authority of sin and He places us under His own authority. We are bought with a price. God is our new master. We are slaves to God. We are slaves not to sin, but to obedience and righteousness. And as a result, we'll produce a specific kind of fruit. Something will happen in our lives. Specific results will come from our slavery to sin, if you remain in slavery to sin, and specific results will come when you become a slave to God. In the final verses of Romans chapter 6, Paul writes, "But But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Slavery to sin results in one thing and one thing only. Death. Eternal spiritual death. Eternal separation from God. But slavery to God results in sanctification in this life, growing to become more righteous, becoming more like Jesus Christ. And finally, in the life to come, where Reverend Graham is now, I'm sure, rejoicing, being fully transformed into the image of Christ and receiving the free gift of eternal life. So in Romans 6, using the illustration of slavery, Paul justifies his answer The answer he gave in verse 15, what then are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? He justifies the answer of by no means. Why? Because those who are under grace are no longer slaves to sin, which leads to death. They're slaves to God, which leads to sanctification and eternal life. So by no means are they, are we, to continue in sin. But Paul's not finished. He's not finished justifying his by no means answer to continuing in sin. He goes on in the first six verses of chapter 7 to give a second argument, a second justification. Does, Does not being under the law and being under grace mean you can continue in sin? Does the gospel of Jesus Christ say that you're free to disregard the law of God? That, that you are free to do what you want to do and go where you want to go regardless of what God says. By no means. Why? Because not only are you under grace and slaves to God, they and, and we, I pray, are also married to Jesus Christ. In chapter 7, Paul moves from the illustration of slavery to the illustration of marriage. And he begins with the, the law of marriage. Paul's just shown the ridiculous nature of those who are under grace continuing to sin because uh, they've been changed. They've been moved. They're no longer under the authority of sin. They're under the authority of God. They're slaves to God, slaves to obedience and righteousness. Now he gives another, uh, a more positive way to look at it, I would say. Instead of using slavery, Paul turns to marriage. And as I've said before, those two are not the same. Get that. 
And we'll see in some ways how they're not the same. But before he gets to the law of marriage, he first establishes a principle regarding the law in general. In verse 1, chapter 7, or, so, so he's just said one thing, he's just given one illustration, one reason why by no means we should continue in our sin. Here's another way to look at it. Or, do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Now that may seem somewhat obvious, but Paul wants to be clear. He's speaking to the believers who know the, the law. Now, now he could be referring to the Jewish law, but most commentators believe he's referring to, to law in general. In the church in Rome, there were both Jewish and Gentile believers. And this basic principle regarding the law would apply both to Jewish and to Roman law. That is, the law is binding. It it holds true. You have to follow it on a person only as long as he or she lives. The law is not binding, does not apply once a person is dead. You You guys got that? The law only has authority over someone if they're alive. And once he or she has established, no, excuse me, once Paul has established this general principle about the law, he then turns to the institution of marriage. He turns to apply it to marriage. For, verse 2, a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. According to Roman and Jewish and American law, marriage is a binding legal relationship, but only while both husband and wife are alive. That's why we say, till death do us part. The law of marriage has authority over a person only as long as he or she lives. If either spouse dies, both are free from the law of marriage. They're no longer legally married. Paul continues in verse 3, accordingly... She will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another, she is not an adulteress. In the case of the wife, if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, she's committing adultery. I think there's more to living with here. We won't go into detail. But, uh, but if her husband dies, she's free from the law of marriage. She's free to to marry and live with another man. So with the physical law of marriage, our our world, our reality in a sense, law of marriage, which everyone would understand as a background, Paul then applies this law to the spiritual life of the believer. He begins by identifying uh, the spouse in marriage. Remember, he's speaking to those who are under grace, and he wants to be clear that their spouse in marriage is no longer the law. Verse 4, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. In the illustration above, the husband dies, and therefore the, the law of marriage no longer applies to the wife. Now Paul says, in the same way you died to the law. You were married to the law. You believed and acted uh, from a works-based system of righteousness. You believed. You believed what every religion in the world teaches, besides biblical Christianity, that your good works and obedience could earn your righteousness. You were striving to earn your own righteousness. That if you tried your very best to obey the laws, the rules handed down by God or, or the gods, 
in, in the Greek or Roman case. If your good works outweighed your bad works, then by your own efforts, you could earn righteousness and salvation. God would have to accept you. But when you put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, when you stop trusting in your own efforts, when you saw, I have no hope of earning anything, and instead trusted in the broken body and spilt blood of Jesus Christ for your righteousness before God, you died to the law. You're no longer married to the law. You're no longer seeking to earn your own salvation. You died to the law, therefore, you're free to marry another. And who might that another be? Paul says, the new spouse in your marriage is Christ. Romans 7.4 continues, Likewise, my brothers, you've also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. To who? To him who was raised from the dead, in order that you may bear fruit for God. Through the body of Christ, by trusting in the death and the resurrection of Christ, you have died to the law. You've died to trying to earn your own righteousness through, through keeping the law. And because you died to the law, you're free to marry another. And joy of joys, you now belong to Him who's been raised from the dead. You belong to Jesus Christ. You're married to Christ. I want us to think about that for a moment to dwell on that, the amazing implications of a, of a marriage to Christ. In Romans 6, we, we spent a lot of time talking about the fact that we were slaves of God. And that's right, and it's true. God is our master. But there's something missing in this illustration of slavery. I think that's why Paul gives us this second. That's why he puts that or in there. To give the second illustration, because our relationship with Jesus Christ is more than that of slave to master. We need this marriage picture to better show us the nature of our relationship with Christ. Oh, how He loves us. To illustrate the depth of Christ's love for us. And to help us see that being a Christian is more than obeying a master. It's falling in love with your Lord and Savior. It's entering into a legal yet personal relationship with one who gave his life for you. When a, a man and a woman get married, no part of their lives goes unaffected. You're married, been married, you know this. And the same thing is true in our marriage to Christ. Paul is saying that the fact that we're married to Christ should put an end to any conversation about continuing in sin. Marriage to Christ means we are, are not our own. We belong to Him and we love Him. Therefore, as He gave Himself up for us, we in love give ourselves to Him. We give Him our hand in marriage, so to speak. And when you give yourself to another, when you marry, there's a, a significant Loss of freedom and independence. Do we know that? You cannot simply live as you choose. You cannot just do your own thing. A single person can make uh, decisions unilaterally. But a married person, at least a married person who wants to have a happy marriage, cannot. 
I found this out recently when I got online and thought I was doing my wife a favor and I ordered a new uh, comforter for our bed. No no consult. The old one, we needed a new comforter. So I just, Amazon is amazing, isn't it? That didn't work out so well. Just to, just to let you know. There's a duty and obligation to your spouse to consult. But there's also uh, uh, love and intimacy and acceptance and security. And because of this love and intimacy, this acceptance and security, our loss of freedom, that need for uh, uh, dual de- decision-making is a joy, not a burden. Amen? In a good marriage, your whole life is affected and changed by the wishes and the desires of the person you love. You get pleasure from giving pleasure. You seek to discover and fulfill the desire of your spouse. And in so doing, you receive the pleasure, the joy of being in this amazing love relationship. We even find ourselves getting joy out of doing things we don't want to do. Just to, just to make the one we love happy. A couple of weeks ago, we had a, a Valentine's Day event here at our church, if you remember. Some of you were here. And we played the, the newlywed game, which if you don't know, involves asking spouses going, one spouse going off and asking the other spouse questions and then seeing if those questions match, right? You got it? And one of the questions that Anthon, uh, Anthon was leading the, the game, asked the women was this. What is one thing that your husband hates to do that he does because he loves you? And there were four people to answer this question, and they answered this way. One said, he gets up early to take care of the kids. That's great. The other said, he cleans the toilet for me. Another said, he makes my lunch every day. And one said, he, he, he takes walks on the beach with me. I don't know what the problem with that is, Sean, but. <laughs> Sorry. In marriage, we do things we dislike. I shouldn't have done that, right? Called him out. I mean, cleaning the toilets is different from walking on the beach, right? All right. In marriage, we do things we dislike or even hate. Because we want to please our spouse. And we get joy and pleasure out of doing something uh, we don't like to do if we know it pleases the one we love. This is true in a good human marriage. I don't know why I said human. It's not in an ape marriage or something. It's good in a, a people marriage. And it's true in our marriage to Christ as well. There is a great pleasure to be found in living a life dedicated to obedient service to Jesus Christ. Even in doing things that at least initially, see Christ is great because he'll ask you to do things initially you hate and then he'll he'll change you and you won't hate him anymore, which is a great blessing. Just one quick example from my life. There was a time when I hated, I loathed, I feared public speaking of any kind. Some of you who've known me for many years know, know this. Uh, what's the thing? I would rather, if I was going to a funeral, I'd rather be in the coffin than given the eulogy. But the night after uh, I responded to Reverend Graham's message to live for Christ, 
I responded to Elizabeth Elliot's missionary uh, message to consider serving Christ as a missionary. I sense God speaking to my heart that this is the path that He had for my life. I knew it would mean facing, uh, and this came up in my thinking, I knew that it would mean facing my hatred and my fear of public speaking. But as I did, as, as I began to face that fear, as I obeyed God in this area and began to do evangelism, speaking to even to individuals, uh, teaching classes, and eventually preaching, I have and I, I continue to receive great joy and satisfaction. So now that something I hated has become something I love. All because I knew I was, I was pleasing, I was obeying the one who loved me and gave himself for me and knew what was best for me even better than I knew myself. And I believe this more than anything else is, the, the, is, is why the answer to the question, what then are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace, is by no means. Why would we continue in sin when we know that our spouse... Uh, the one we love and the one that loves us, Jesus Christ, hates sin above all else. Why would we continue in sin when we know that sin damages our relationship with Jesus Christ? Why would we continue in sin when there is great joy and pleasure to be found in living in obedience and service to the one who loves us and who gave himself up for us? We wouldn't unless we have a total misunderstanding of what our relationship with Christ is and is to be. Know this, uh, brothers and sisters, if you are saved by grace through faith, you are married to Christ. That's who you are. He's your spouse, your husband, and He loves you and He gave His life for you. And in turn, you must give your life completely to Him. You belong to Him. You were bought with a price. You do not belong to sin. You do not belong to the law. You belong to Jesus Christ. Now in the context of a a loving relationship, live for the one you belong to. Now how do we do that? Paul answered that question in verse 6. We'll get to it in a minute. But notice that he ends verse 4 by telling us why we belong to Christ. What's the... Why, 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 were we, uh, why are we slaves to God? Why are we married to Christ? Why? He says, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, Jesus Christ, in order that we may bear fruit for God. We belong to Christ that we might bear fruit for God. We, I mean, think of, maybe some of you are thinking of uh, John chapter 15. When we abide in Christ, when we, when we uh, live in this marriage relationship with Christ, that's when we bear fruit. Paul, Paul explained the fruit of our slavery to sin or slavery to God in chapter 6. Now in chapter 7, verses 5 and 6, he explains the fruit or the benefits of marriage. Remember, the fruit of our marriage to sin is death and the fruit of our marriage to the law is also death. Romans 7, 5, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. This is a description of our old self. 
when we were slaves to sin, obeying the desires of our sinful flesh, giving in to our sinful passions, passions that were, uh, Paul says, aroused by the law, by our marriage to the law. This is talking about what, what the law does in the life who's, of someone who's a slave to sin. And someone who believes that keeping the law is how they achieve righteousness. The law is, is rightly declaring what is wrong. But it's also arousing sinful passions because our natural rebellious nature, the ra- natural rebellious nature of our old self in the flesh makes us want to do the very things that the law forbids. Paul's going to talk a lot about that in the rest of chapter 7. So we'll stop there on that. Our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members, our body, to bear the fruit of death. Again, slavery to sin, marriage to the law, go together and both result in death. Think about it this way. There are people out there in this world who, whether they know it or not, they're married to the law. They believe that by keeping the law, uh, by doing good works, by obeying certain rules, they will achieve some kind of righteousness and God will accept them. God will save them. But these people are also slaves to sin. They're living in the flesh, but trying in the flesh to obey the law. And friends, that is not possible. And the only result of that life is death. Separation from God now and for all eternity. But thanks be to God, that is not the state we need remain in. For in Christ we died to sin. We're no longer living in the flesh. We're under grace, not the law. And therefore there is a much different fruit a much different result for those who are married to Christ. Paul says the fruit of our marriage to Christ is spiritual service. Romans 7, 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. We are united with Christ. We are in Christ. Therefore, when Christ died, we died. We are released from the law. We're no longer married to the law. We're no longer under the law. And that means big changes in every way. We were held captive by the law. We believed. People today believe that they can earn righteousness by keeping the law, by doing good works. But this is a fallacy. This is a lie that holds people captive. And thanks be to God, we've been released from that lie. We've been released from our marriage to the law and we are now married to Christ. And the fruit of this new and glorious union is so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. There are two ways to try to serve God. The first is seen in the lives of those who are married to the law. It's the old way of the written code. It's the belief and the practice that if you know and obey and and follow every jot and every tittle of the written code of the law that you can earn righteousness and salvation from God. It's obedience and service out of fear, hoping uh, against hope in many cases to earn salvation. Doing good works to outweigh the bad that you're doing. That's the first way to seek to serve God. And it comes from those who are slaves to sin, 
married to the law, and it ends in death. But the second way to serve God is not through the written code, but through the Spirit. This kind of service comes from the heart, from the Spirit of God doing His work in our heart. It doesn't come out of fear or from a place of trying to earn your salvation. It comes from the joy that you've received salvation. It flows from your relationship with Jesus Christ. It comes from the Spirit of God working in and through your life. So those are the two ways to serve God. And Paul's point is this. Being under grace, being married to Christ, does not mean you can continue in sin. It doesn't mean you can do what you want to do and go where you want to go. It doesn't mean you can ignore God's will and His ways. It means you serve God in a different way, from a different place. Not being married to the law does not mean we do not keep the law. It means we keep the law with different motives, with a different heart, a heart empowered by the Spirit of God, a heart that that's in love with Jesus Christ and lives to please Him in all things. So does a Christian uh, ignore the law of God? Not at all. By no means. We now look at the law not as a way to earn God's favor, but as an expression of God's desires. God loves honesty and purity and generosity and justice and truth and integrity and righteousness and kindness and so on. We now keep the law, we obey God to please the One who saved us. The One who gave Himself for us. Gave Himself to us. So that we're not under the law, we're not married to it, we're married to Jesus Christ. We're seeking to please Him. And so obedience to God is the way we honor the one we love. The law then is no longer a burden because we have a new motivation. It comes out of our relationship of love to Jesus Christ. We belong to Christ as His bride. And knowing that He died for us, how could we and why would we not live to please Him? It's our loving marriage relationship, symbolic spoken it marriage relationship to Christ that is ultimately the answer to Paul's question in Romans 6:15 it's knowing who you are in Christ that causes you to say deep in your heart will I live in this moment as though I'm a slave to sin married to the law by no means I'll live as a slave to God a slave to obedience and righteousness. I'll live in relationship to Christ, married to Christ, seeking to please the One who gave His life for me and gave His love to me. That is the ultimate answer and ultimate motivation in our lives for overcoming. Are you, are you, do you have sin in your life that you're struggling with? This is the answer to overcoming it. This is the answer to living a life of service to God, believing and living based on the truth that you are married to Jesus Christ, that you would treasure above all else your relationship to Jesus Christ, that you would seek to experience the joy and satisfaction and intimacy and love that comes from your relationship with Christ. And so doing, when you do that, 
the result is you begin to flee sin. You run from the thing that causes, this, that causes the rift. I mean, when you sin, there's a rift, there's a break, there's damage in your relationship with the One who loves you. So instead of sinning, instead of you would run from sin and you would run to Christ, you would seek to serve Christ in love with your whole body and mind and soul and strength. You would give yourself over to obedience, to service, to love for Christ. Would you pray with me that God will use uh, His Word today to penetrate our hearts? Because this is a work He has to do in each of We have to hear this, we have to believe it, and we have to begin to apply it. And it's a work He does in us. So would you pray that we'll be transformed into people who live based on the truth of our relationship with Christ. That we live based on the truth that we are married to Christ. That we'll wholeheartedly trust in the death of Christ for our salvation. Amen, yes. But we will also seek to live lives pleasing to the One who we belong to. That we would seek to glorify God in all that we say and do. Would you pray with me? Father God, I pray that we would realize who we are in Christ. I pray that we would realize that we are yours, that we belong to you, that we were bought with a price, that we're married to you. And as such, we need to follow after you. We need to trust in you. Lord, help us to run from the sin in our life, to not live based on who we're not, slaves to sin, to not live based on uh, the fact that we're under the law. We're no longer under the law. We're under grace. We're married to Christ. Lord, help us to to live that way. Give us your strength, your spirit, your power. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.